I went to Berkeley College of Music. I'm a musician. I am not in the business of automating creativity or putting musicians out of a job. What I'm really interested in doing is providing technology to creative people that allows them to be more creative. Welcome to Signal Flow, a podcast that explores the technology, techniques, and ideas behind music in the digital age from input to output. My name is Erin Vera. I'm an associate professor here in the songwriting department at Berklee College of Music, and I'm interested in art and technology. I'm Loudon Stearns. I'm an associate professor in contemporary writing and production here at Berklee College of Music. And we are joined by... Hi, my name is Jonathan Bailey. I'm the chief technology officer at Isotope Incorporated. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're pretty excited about this, actually. So we wanted to talk about artificial intelligence and in specific ways to what Isotope is doing, but also in just like a general sense. This is a thing that just keeps coming up, you know, in movies, in uh, we were at a board of trustees meeting where everybody's talking about and kind of not exactly fighting, but having really interesting dialogue about what the future of our industry looks like. Yeah. Um, and then we were just at Loop and we saw our Google Magento was doing this really cool thing as well. So this is it's happening. Yeah. And I feel like we should talk about it and get into it. Yeah. And one thing I'd like is to talk about things that aren't scary with artificial intelligence. Because every time I start having these conversations with people, it turns into a very terrifying, dystopian dystopian, dystopian future. future. So if we could keep this to like positive uses for... Positive vibes only. Positive (laughs) machine learning vibes only. That'd be great. That's good. Well, you just said machine learning. Yeah. And how does that... So I hear that term a lot. How does that relate to AI or artificial intelligence? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, this is is a question that comes up a lot for Mm -hmm. people. So machine learning is more of a uh, kind of a specific field within the broader category of artificial intelligence okay. and, and and how I would differentiate them is, is an artificial intelligence is about building any kind of system that um, uh, appears to have appears to be able to to do something smart or to kind of emulate an intelligent being machine learning is more specific than that so machine learning is a is a sort of a de- set of design techniques or technologies that are focused on training a system using data so that it can either find patterns within that data or make predictions um, out in the wild uh, against data that it's never seen before. So the, the like the classic example mm-hmm. of this that I would use is you know probably most of your listeners have a smartphone or some kind of you know mm-hmm. a modern phone device that with a, with a camera on it, right? Almost every one of those now uh, will have some feature in the photo album that can uh, group uh, your photos by faces, for example. Like your, if you have an iPhone in particular, you can go in there and you'll see these automatic photo albums that are created. So there's two things that are happening there. There's a, uh, an algorithm that's identifying that something's a face, right? And mm-hmm. not a car or a, your cat or whatever. Maybe it does find your cat and makes an album. I haven't seen that feature, <laughs> but it could... Maybe I'm sure it's coming that would soon. be it's coming soon. Yeah, people yeah. need that. Been, yeah, that's probably better. Why are we doing this? We should be focused on cat yes. classifiers. Um, but uh, so it's found the uh, the faces and dis, dis, uh, disambiguated them from the other types of images that you have. And then the other thing it does is it finds the like faces and clusters them or groups them together, right? But obviously the software on your phone has never seen any of your photos before right. because they didn't exist. So it saw something that was similar enough in order to give it an insight that it's close enough to other faces that it, it had 
it had been trained against before during its development to be able to make an, an, actual, an intelligent decision, an intelligent grouping around that information. So I just heard three words in there that I'm guessing are pretty important to this. Sure. Classifier. Yep. Cluster. Yep. And disambiguate. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, those words kind of turn me start on. With the, the layman's God, you're making me want to write a song right now. <laughs> Is there a broken rhyme in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah. So um, are those kind of important terms yeah, yeah. in there? Yeah, two, two of those are sort of terms of art within machine learning, which are the classifier and clustering. That's actually, that's a good point. There's kind of, in, so within, so if machine Machine learning is kind of a specialization within AI broadly. Within machine learning, there's a couple of different uh, common types of applications. So, so clustering is one kind. Uh, Google News is the best example of that. You know, you go to Google News, if you go to news.google.com and you search on a term like, you know, whatever, a baseball or something, it will group all of the similar articles about a similar event together. So like Yankees beat the Red Sox, or sorry, we're in Boston, Bo- Red Sox beat the Yankees. <laughs> That'll be one grouping of articles, right? And then maybe right. another game will be another grouping. So uh, what what that algorithm is doing is looking in a, in a kind of space with a lot of different articles and saying, these are all kind of in a group and these are all kind of in a group. That's called clustering. Gotcha. Okay. Um, classification is the process of uh, putting a label or identifying some some form of content, usually like an image, yeah, tagging it is another way of thinking about it exactly. So to bring it into the audio world a little bit and some of what we do at Isotope, we released our first really sort of market-focused machine learning technology a couple of years ago in a channel strip strip product that we uh, released called Neutron. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Neutron, we have this feature called the Track Assistant, which is you can just hit a button and stream some audio through that. And what we do is we make a determination uh, as to what the instrument underlying that audio content might be. Is it a guitar or bass or drums or vocals mm. or piano or, or other is the other specific class that we classify into. So that's actually running a classifier in the background. That's how it works. So we trained that algorithm. We have a big database of instrument samples internally. We train this classifier against all of those different instrument samples, and then we deploy that into the wild. And then it does other stuff after that. But that's the machine learning part of that specific feature within that product. Gotcha. So something that we do pretty easily, I hear, oh, that's a guitar. Seems like a pretty tricky thing to teach a a computer to do that. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of the first step. Right. Um, And then what do you do with that information? Yeah. Now you know it's a guitar. Yeah. Now you put a label on it. Right. Right. So so that's kind of step one. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, this is at a point in time where that was pretty difficult to do computationally and kind of more at the bleeding edge of where machine learning is. Part of why you guys probably even want to talk to me and what's happening in the world is the advancements from that point forward have been very rapid. Gotcha. Um, so this is a, an area of technology with extremely um, kind of short kind of development cycles right. and improvement cycles and a, and a pretty short hype cycle as well. Um, so, so, you know, three years ago, that was like totally state of the art and kind of cutting edge technology that was coming out of Facebook's image recognition program. That's basically where mm-hmm. we stole the idea from. Mm. Um, but that's now kind of easy for us, right? So right. we've moved on to the next thing, which is cool. How can we use machine learning to process your audio? So when you say process your audio, yeah. this, uh, the goal is to be able to help artists that, yeah. uh, mix the music better? Is that is Well, that... not just artists, right? It could be an engineer. You can sure. help an engineer mix. Sure. Yeah. Engineer's not an artist. Producer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, but a person to to engineer better. Yeah, yeah. So we, we think of 
um, when we're when we're doing product development, we have a couple of we call them personas. They're kind of types of people or types of um, or people working in a type of workflow. Maybe as a mm-hmm. way to think about it. So I know them all. Do you know, know them all? I know flow. You know, you, I you know, know the Roland. new ones. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. I know them all. I know. Erin knows them better than I do, probably <laughs> at this point. Yeah, because I you know I write content for them. Yeah, right. so I have to. I yeah. know everything about you them. You write content okay. for the. For Isotope's Spire blog and the Isotope blog, so right. they and actually it, it's it's great to have that information from from my side to say like these products are made for these types of people and there's such an an array of people that you make software for. Yeah. So there's everything from the post production professional who's like a full time mastering engineer and is you know working in really specific listening situations. There's a professional engineer who's largely dealing with signal flow stuff. There's the the professional producer as well, who's working in the industry with lots of different artists. And then we move down a tier and then there's sort of like the rookie producer who also drives Lyft during the day. Like they get right. really specific, like yep. she's a Lyft driver, but yep. she also yep. buys a lot of software and is yep. like trying mm-hmm. to get on her game. Roxy. A Roxy, yes. <laughs> and then there's Flo and she's the artist. Yep. And she likes to compose. Performing and, musician, yeah. And then there's a guy at the very bottom, and he's more of like a jammer. And he likes to just, <laughs> I don't know, I'm looking at you, because <laughs> you like to jam. Uh, he sits around, hanging out with his friends, playing guitar, and he just loves to make music. Yeah, exactly. That's so perfect. So it's quite a spread. So when we think about, to kind of go back to your question, Lana, yeah. when we think about, you know, what technology do we want to build and say the next version of a product, we're really thinking with these these people, you know, we kind of think of them okay. as people in mind, these personas in mind. Yep. So for the first persona that Aaron mentioned is Pippi, our post-production professional. Pippi has a very specific set of needs. She's working professionally. She's mm-hmm. under tight, very tight deadlines. There's a lot of money riding on her projects. And so here's an example of where we use machine learning to solve a problem for her. Um, uh, Pippi frequently gets audio recordings that um, use a lavalier microphone on them. And as you guys surely know, lavalier microphones are highly susceptible to rustle noise. Mm -hmm. If you have someone on camera and they're a very dynamic speaker, right, you can pick up a lot of noise on that mic capsule. Imagine you have a 20 minute long talking head interview and you have to chase down all that noise and Mm -hmm. get rid of it later. You know, we have a tool, RX, that's very powerful editor, spectral editor. We can get in, you can do these really surgical edits. But even with a tool that's powerful like that, the noise content tends to be highly correlative with the speech program material, right? So like separating out, like what what are the frequencies that constitute the noise versus constitute the noise I don't want, i.e. the rustle noise versus the noise I do want, i.e. the speech. That's pretty hard even for a skilled professional. And then imagine going through that 20 minute long interview and having to do that again and again and again right. and again and again. And correlative, you just mean that the the noise is increasing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, the, it the happens signal, in time, right? exactly. The signal yeah. and noise are together, That's right. which is the most difficult thing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, so we, um, so our customers had been asking us for years to give them a solution to this problem and even using sort of the powerful, uh, signal processing technology mm-hmm. that we already sort of had in our toolbox, we couldn't really come up with a robust solution for that. So this is a place where we turn to machine learning as a new sort of technology in an area we had been investing in on the research and development side of the company. 
And we were able to come up with a feature, we call it DeRussell, where we essentially, um, we trained a neural network. We trained a machine learning algorithm, uh, which is called a neural network. That's a new term that I just introduced. And I can explain what that means in a second. Um, But we trained a machine learning algorithm or neural network specifically to be able to determine whether uh, within an audio, within a slice of audio, slice that up in the frequency range each one of those little slices, is that voice or is it noise? Go through an entire audio recording and then separate out, subtract out the noise from that. Mm-hmm. So you can you know, now load one of these, a, a, a bad recording with a lot of rustle noise into, into this application RX and run this de-rustle module and it removes all that rustle noise for, from it. That, so that, that's an example of a place where machine learning literally allowed us to solve a problem that was pretty much unsolved before. It was kind of a breakthrough new solution. That's amazing. And it can, works really well. Does it? Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more than de-rustle. There's yeah. like de-hiss, de-hum, oh, yeah. Yeah. de-wind, like everything. But not all of those have machine learning behind them. That's right. right. That's right. right. Yeah. So some of those modules that you just mentioned, they use more tr- what I kind of call, I don't have a good word for it. So I call it traditional signal processing or traditional dig- digital signal stupid. processing. It's not intelligent. It's, <laughs> it's stupid signal well, processing. If it's not, what's the opposite of intelligent? Well, it's not adaptive in the same way, right? It's a heuristic yeah. basically. So it's like, you can think of it as a, you know, we found the right formula to write right. on the whiteboard, right? It's just a math equation. It's a right. really, really complicated one that uses a lot of intensive frequency based right. processing. If I hear over and over. It's a certain low frequency right, that lasts a right. certain amount of time. That's right. That's a, we don't need to. So we can write an algorithm that, yeah, the general characteristics and that. dynamics of that are pretty well known. You right. can define that problem reasonably yeah. easily. So, so so, a lot of the technology that we have is is sort of in that domain. Right. What, what we're kind of talking about today is the technology that comes from this new domain of mm-hmm. machine learning and artificial intelligence. And so, but, but you're right, Aaron, DeRussell is an example of that. We have a dialogue isolate feature, mm-hmm. um, which is in that realm as well. And so that can extract essentially any kind of noise from dialogue. Fantastic. It could be rustle noise. It could be a fan kicking on in here. Right. It could be a beep sound that doesn't sound like it would be in the human vocal frequency range, right? We can identify that and pull it out. And the latest, so the really the cutting edge in the state of the art for us right now is we're starting, if, if you think about denoising, right? The example mm-hmm. we're talking about, that's an example of something called source separation, which is essentially you're mm-hmm. taking a, a mixture of some number of sounds that are already together, right, in a mix, and you want to unmix them. Uh, we oh, just, is this the taking out the vocals, the acapellas? Yeah. So, so we just oh, released yeah. a new feature called Music Rebalance, where we we're starting to push into a pretty compelling results in terms of mixing, unmixing musical mixtures. Mm-hmm. So we have this new Music Rebalance feature where we can uh, separate out, let's see, vocals, bass, drums, and other. The same. That's heuristics that you're using before the other one, not heuristics. The same so this categories. Is, this is, this is machine learning based. Right, but we, we, earlier you mentioned those same categories yeah. for a neutron. Al- almost the same. Yeah. It's different underlying technology, yeah. okay. actually, in this case. And in that case, we don't have a mixture that we're working with. Right. So in the neutron case, we have a single track of yeah. audio that's just guitar. If it has guitar and bass and voice in it, it's it, not gonna. It's not uh, gonna give it a good label. Whatever right. is probably most prominent in the mix gotcha. is gonna. So if it's a really quiet band with a loud vocal, it would probably label that as a vocal. In this particular case, we can take you know take your favorite whatever four piece mm-hmm. rock band song. 
we can sort of uh, uh, unmix individual stems for each one of those components, and then you can start to do processing. Amazing. Okay. That's can, crazy. Can I back up a little bit? Yeah, sure. There yep. was, um, I want to hear about the process, right? Yep. You've mentioned training yep. and learning, yep. lots of data. Yep. What is that process like to teach? Yeah, sure. So that's, this is probably a good time to revisit this term, neural networks as yes, well. Please. So a neural network is the, is sort of the name for the specific t technology that mm -hmm. we're using in this realm of machine learning. So a neural network, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but essentially you can think of it as it's a statistical model that's trying to represent how the brain works, actually. So how the individual neurons in your brain combine to process information and make decisions, that's kind of the inspiration behind neural networks. So that's sort of a mathematical model that's trying to approximate in some way the behaviors of the brain. There's a couple of different ways that you can organize those neural networks, and the size and scope of those neural networks has given um, a kind of creation or life to this phrase deep neural networks, which is where the phrase deep learning comes from. So, so if once you've heard, we get a big enough brain, they're really, really big neural networks. Then exactly, great yeah. things start happening. So that's There's some kind of yeah. threshold. So and that's the sort of sea change that we've been seeing, and and why we see the prevalence of you know machine learning and deep learning kind of in the world, and why we're even talking about this today is because the advances in computation and in, in availability of data have allowed us to build these very complicated and very large neural network structures that can solve problems that we couldn't, they weren't complicated enough and we didn't have the CPU firepower to be able to solve those problems before. Gotcha. Look, can I ask you something? So yeah. like we're talking about these huge, it sounds like insanely powerful computers. Yep. Um, my computer, yep. my laptop isn't this insanely powerful computer, I don't think, yep. is yep. it? Yeah, no, no, it's not. And you can actually run these neural networks on pretty, you know, that you, you can run them on your on your cell phone okay. or, you know, they're running on your cell phone right now, <laughs> right? Like we were talking about the photo application. That's I'm doing facial recognition on your phone and mm -hmm. clustering those results into these different photo albums for, you know, your family members. Or That's whatever. actually I always assume that was being done on a Facebook server in a you know, big, gigantic thing somewhere. I don't think so. Actually, oh, really? I bet if you go to uh, turn off the yeah. uh, Internet access on your phone and take a bunch of photos, I bet they'll be sorted into the into the correct. Okay. Albums, but I don't know. You might be yeah. right. You, no, I'm not I, sure. So, but I, I guess for me, it's interesting. It, it seems closer to me yep. now than I yep. thought it was. I thought this was a much more difficult thing. So, so, so here's where the big, powerful computers and data sets come okay. in. It's training those neural networks. It's getting basically. Um, so, if you think of uh, a neural network as imagine a bunch of nodes, and just you have to use your imagination for what a little node is. Dots. Yeah, it's a little dot, right? And each one of those little dots is going to say like A or B or yes or no, and it's mm -hmm. got a, a weight associated with it essentially a number. It's a statistic, statistically relevant number associated with it. When you start training one of these things, you set those to all be just random numbers. So these are dots connected to lots of other dots. That's right. Yep, that's right. Conceptually. And anyway. each one has a little bit of yes or no and a statistic. Yeah, it's got a, like a 0.3 or a 0.7. But it's touching five touching others other things. others. So that yep. individual node is going to say like 70% of the time I'm going to send to my next friend, which is A, and 30% of the time I'm going to send to my other friend, which is B, right? So it's kind of statistically there's a statistical distribution of decisions that are being made at each one of those points when you start this whole process you set all those to random values and then what you do is you put a say you take a, so that's a, your baby born that's your that's your right that's your <laughs> your your embryo conception this is getting weird let's not take the brain thing too far here uh but yeah that's sort of the the tabla the, rasa the blank the, slate just that's noise. right just starting so if you put a 
photo through that and say, okay, is this a face or not? It's probably going to come up with the wrong answer. And then what you do, but you know, you know it, whether the answer is right or wrong because, because you have humans. training. Well, because so we as humans organize the training data for this thing. We want to teach it something. Mm -hmm. So we put a piece of content through it, a photo in this case, and say, okay, is this a face or not? And it'll say yes. And we'll say wrong, no. And so we back, we do something called we propagate that information through the neural network. So we go and we attempt to adjust all the weightings and all those nodes to, to what we think would yield a right answer next. We make okay. some little changes across the board and then we do it again. We send another photo through it and it says yes or no. And based on what answer it provides, we either give it positive feedback that yes, you made the right answer or negative feedback that no, you didn't. And we're constantly adjusting those values. That process takes a long time mm -hmm. and a lot of data in order to do. So for example, the classifier that I was mentioning, yep. the instrument classifier in the track assistant in Neutron, when we were training that, I believe, um, I wish one of my team members is here, they could correct me on this, but I'm not wildly off. That, that took weeks for each training iteration on a very powerful computer hosted in the cloud. So you mean you'd, you'd play one audio file and yeah. say, this is a base. No, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 keep going. Right, and it would give you the wrong answer. Yep. And then you would try to correct a couple of things. That was one iteration. That's one iteration, yeah. So we do that iteration. Just one audio file. Yeah, so we do that hundreds of thousands wow. of times. Right. Wow. Okay, I kind of want to pivot because <laughs> the understanding of how the technology yep. wor working is is one side of yep. it, but yep. it's like, what are we doing? So yep. using Why? this technology, what are you actually allowing somebody to, or what is the intelligence doing for a musician or yeah. a producer, whatever. Finding Russell. Okay, so Russell is one example. Not the person or Russell. identifying. Facebook would find Russell. Okay. <laughs> Isotope is finding some Russell. Ruffle, right? Okay. <laughs> we have a video that we put out. One of my uh, lead engineers is named Russell. <laughs> and so I don't know if we released this publicly. I think we did in the lead up to it. We love him. It's great. But we did a video where we were like preparing the company to fire him. D. So Russell. D. Russell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, and it's very punny. Anyway. He's going to love this. So, so, so who cares, yeah. right, on some level? Like, why are we doing this stuff? And I guess that kind of comes back to where we... So this is the positive vibrations part of the conversation <laughs> okay. for me, which is, you know, for, for us at Isotope, I mean, you, you sort of know a lot of people there, Aaron. We're, I went to Berkeley College of Music. I'm a musician. Ooh. I am not in the business of automating creativity, or putting musicians out of a job or, right. you know, sort of some of these these sort of darker avenues that you can explore with this, this realm or that we get into. What I'm really interested in doing is providing technology to creative people that allows them to be more creative, that allows them to focus on solving creative problems instead of solving technical problems if they want to, if they so choose to. And that's most of my customers, that's what they want to do. Um, and then allows them to be creative in a way that they weren't able to do before because we've provided them with some technology that, you know, allows them to do something they couldn't do, like remove um, Russell Noise from an, from an audio yeah. production or unmix a song. And then they're like, maybe they sample part of that or, you know, set the legality of sampling aside. But, of you know, creative, music. yeah, whatever, whatever you're trying to do. Maybe you lost a session and you only mm -hmm. have the mix and you want to go back and you want to do something with it, right? Guilty. You know, yeah. so, oh, so, yeah. so we have technology that, you know, might be able to allow you to do that. That's what I'm in. That's what we're doing. That's what, that's what motivates us. Like, that's why wow. we exist at Isotope. The, the other thing that, you know, where Isotope, I, I try and differentiate us, at least internally, and I talk about this externally as well at the company, 
isotope, what's in isotopes DNA is trying to look at the latest and greatest in technology in the world and apply that to creative production and audio music, right? What we're not in the business of doing, and there are other companies that do this, and I think it's cool. I respect them. But like, we, I am not here to emulate this beautiful mixing console that you have in mm -hmm. front of you and try and provide the best software version of that. That's cool. That's great technology. It sounds amazing. But sometimes, if it, this is just my personal opinion, there's kind of a, a vintage nostalgia that exists in our industry that doesn't really move the ball forward. Right. You know, a, a Marshall Bluesbreaker amplifier is a wonderful sounding amplifier, but that's technology from 1967. I want to make the technology from 2018 and 2020 that someone is going to want to emulate 50 years from now. And they're going to think that like, those are the glory days of music production. Aaron. I find myself kind of having ideas of things that I want to train computers to do. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's a lot of times I'm, I'm just that I'm I'm distracted by like kind of busy work. Yeah. And, you know, like I say um all the time. Mm -hmm. And every time I have uh, a, uh, a podcast, it'd be nice if a machine would just remove all my ums or I say right all the time. Yeah. In my, you know, and yeah. it's like. You know, it's right. I, I just wanted something to just get rid of all the rights and the ums. Get rid of it. Because I've done that so much, you know, or click bleed. Oh, my God. How many flute recordings have I had that I have to sit right. there in our racks right. removing yeah. it? Like, I, it, it just yeah. feels like that's distracting me from the thing that I should be doing, which is writing more music, right. creating, being right. in the flow and those yeah. things. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Huh? <laughs> Well, what I think is really interesting is we're saying that you want to remove a, a technical barrier for a person to be creative, yeah. right? And I think a lot of the perception around some of this thing from, or they're just in this in technology in general, even outside of music is that, yep. oh my God, it's going to start doing the right. creative work for us. Yep. Like we were just in LA mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about this Google Magenta project, how they fed it like classical nude pieces of art yeah. and then said okay now you create yeah. a nude right yeah. of and and looking at them yeah. it's crazy <laughs> yeah. they're so strange yeah. and it's yeah. not doing the same job yeah. right and so in that in that case it's asking a technology to do a creative task yeah. but what you are saying is that you're asking the intelligence to do a technical a technical task yep. so that somebody can actually be creative. Yeah. I mean, that's the line that we try and, you know, ride as best mm -hmm. we can. I mean, Google Magenta team, you know, we're, we're, I'm friendly with those folks. Douglas Sack is the head of that team. That's a brilliant team. And they're mm. doing, they are absolutely on the, on the bleeding edge of the state of the art in the world of kind of audio, music, image, video, content analysis, processing, and synthesis, right? Creation as well. So they are a hugely inspiring group to my team. Their stated purpose is to automate creativity. Like that is their goal. That is different from my team's goal. Mm. Now, why are they doing that? Not because they want to rid the world of human created art, but they want to push the technology as far as they can. That So, so they've set of extremely high but also different kind of ethically or philosophically bar than we have as a company there that's the direction that they're pushing in in order to see if they can get the quality of results that something like a computer can create to be competitive with you know what what human beings have been able to create before but that's the stuff that people have the nightmares about totally right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i know i'd rather have a the robot butler than the robot boss and I <laughs> Uh, well, you know, kind of going back to the personas, though, um, you know, flow, let's take our performing musician or even Joe. How about Joe the jammer, right? Joe might not have a backing band. 
Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe he's kind of lonely guy. Well, he's not very cool to jam with. He's in not real super life. cool. He's <laughs> he's in his garage by our persona language. Joe is hanging out in his garage. He's he's got a, a nine to five day gig, and he goes home. And what he loves to do in life is pick up his guitar and play it. But maybe his buddies are out of town. His band is out of town, or whatever. He doesn't have someone to play with. I could imagine it would be cool for somebody to listen to him and provide an mm. auto accompaniment to him. You know, right. that's kind of getting into the realm of creative creating music, but you know, is it, is it not, you know, it's, it, it, that, that's, you know, the types of things that the Magenta team is focused on might be able to enable something like that. That's, you know, who's to say that that's not enabling Joe's creativity, right? And making his life better, you know, it's like making music feels good. Yeah. So, you know, you know I, I, I tend to be more optimistic around yeah. this stuff than pessimistic. I think, um, you know, what's interesting, there's, there's some, um, there's some phenomenon, which is as human beings, we tend to sort of overestimate what's going to happen in the near term with technology and underestimate what's going to happen in the longer term with technology, mm. which is kind of interesting. So who knows how, where this stuff will go? I know, you know, on being on the development side of it, I know how incredibly difficult it is to get even the most basic stuff to work. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example of it. You know, we put all of this effort into, and you know, we got all this kind of positive attention around some of these machine learning features that we put out in the world. But when I go talk to customers, they've already raised the bar like four levels above where we've just placed it. They're like, oh, yeah, this Neutron thing is really cool. Wow, it's amazing. Hey, why can't it learn like which knobs I like to turn right. after it makes a recommendation? Wow. Right. Right. Or like, why doesn't it like why doesn't it get better over time? If I put 15 different guitars into it, it still kind of makes the same recommendation for us. And they're right. That's that's a limitation of the technology for us right now. So, you know, there's a lot more to do in terms of you know, you can adapt the result that you get or the recommendation that right. you make for a customer. You can personalize that so that if Aaron is using Neutron and I'm using Neutron, they kind of um, diverge around our own personal preferences. Right. That that experience is being Why personalized. Why can't it listen to my iTunes That's library, kind of thing. hear yep. all the mixes right. that, that I, I like, like to listen yeah, right. to? And then, and then automatically mix my music sure, to sound like sure. that, right? That's, oh, yeah. man. Well, I love it. I guess... I maybe oh, I have one more question that I want to ask. Sure. So if we're removing the technical task, mm -hmm. what happens to all those people that do the technical task for a living? Like, how do you answer that question? Yeah. Um, we said it would be good vibes here. No, I think this is, I don't think this is a bad, I mean, you're helping those people too yeah. in, in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I do think that will challenge people in those roles to um, provide value in other ways. You know, so if you if you've made a career out of removing lavalier microphone noise manually <laughs> oh, from recordings, oh, it's like the then, accounting of audio engineering, well, then then I'm sorry. You know, then technology has kind of come along and obsoleted that. So I, I think, you know, we're, for those of us that work in kind of technical professions like that, like this, this might show up in software engineering, yeah. right? For my software engineering engineers, you know, generative code, right? Like, you know, being mm. able to auto generate or, you know, a, a robot that generates, you know, software might be a thing, but that's right. going to, that becomes a tool on some level and kind of forces you to sort of provide value in other ways is kind of how I look at it. So I really do, I do think of these things as enabling technologies, but I recognize that 
you know, to look at another industry, you know, self-driving cars might put, you know, taxi Absolutely. drivers and Uber, Uber drivers out of business. It, it may force them to get more creative around the value they provide. Maybe they'll still be taxis, but it's not that they just drive you from A to B. They're, maybe they're really funny along the drive or something oh, like that. Or they do a city that. tour or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So I, I, I recognize that there is a, an area of our industry and our profession that's really focused on providing those technical services, um, you know, and that, that that's, that's kind of hard for me to say. I, I appreciate that some of, um, you know, the sort of arc of technology that we're part of, th that's been happening for a long time anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, right. Isotope is part of a movement that was, you know, kind of brought, brought about, you know, the kind of transformational change that happened around the professional recording studio industry. You know, we're, we're kind of piggybacking on Pro Tools in that regard and the kind of democratization of music creation so that anybody can do it and you don't need a big record label deal and all this other stuff in order to be able to do that. You know, we're, we're kind of a node on that journey. Um, but you know, I, I think this is a place where I encourage people who are working in those fields to really embrace the technology and learn yeah. it because it's coming, whether you kind of like it or not. And I think with the kind of right attitude, you can really, um, it opens up actually as many new opportunities, at least in theory, if you can get creative around how you can use that and how you can differentiate yourself in response to it classify, differentiate, and cluster yourself. Cluster yourself. Um, <laughs> immediately, I think, well, they should be the best trainers. Yeah, right? well, I mean, that, sure. that seems like, sure. right, immediately then, sure. okay, if you were the de-rustler, then you'd be the yeah. best person to train the computer. Well, so that's one interesting thing. I mean, we, we, see, we see already at yeah. Isotope, which is, you know, um, as I mentioned before, I went to Berkeley College of Music. And when I went here, I, a lot of the mentality was, I, well, I want to leave and I want to go be a music producer. Well, I, I mean, I studied that here. I'm not a music producer. Right. I'm a CTO of a technology company. Ultimately, I work with a lot of Berkeley grads over right. at Isotope. And so in industry, there are so many new opportunities that have arisen to mm. be part of the process of developing yep. these tools for people to leverage that expertise in the design, the development, the qualification, the kind of sound criticism and critique and, and composition and design of the products as well. So that's a really viable career path for people now in a way that I don't think it was, you know, this could be, I, I could be so biased still, because yeah. I'm at Isotope and, you know, we're right across the river from you guys, but I really do think there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, as we talked about, there's, there are, many, 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 many interesting problems to solve in this domain. And so I see a, just a huge amount of opportunity for people to kind of go yeah. after those problems. To You know, we are not working on the declick your flute problem right now. Right, right, right. I, right. Tell, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to yeah. tell you our future product roadmap, but I will tell you that we're not working on right. that one. Yeah. But somebody should, right? Yeah, it's right, a great right. idea. Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, there's well, that. it's our job to react to that as, a, yeah. as an institution, right? To say, here's the future of our industry. But, you know, there probably was a time when we were training people to be tape operators, right? right. And that's not right. something that exists anymore. And this yeah. is just the way yep. culture evolves. Film yeah. editors. Right. In the, so, in the having to cut with razor. Yeah, right. Razor, yeah. You have to do it a certain way. So, so it's just going to bludgeon yeah. forward regardless. To stumble so into don't the be future. scared. I'm not. <laughs> I welcome my. Once it starts writing songs, I might get a little scared. But, but no, I've I've seen some of that technology even yeah. exists, yeah. right? Where yeah. there's something that then I and I checked it out, and I was like, I can do a lot better than this. So I think I think I'm okay for now. <laughs> 
if you think of kind of audio technology and sort of music composition and creation as sort of sort of overlapping, but I think of them as kind of fundamentally different, like the whole world of musicology yeah. and how, you know, how you build an AI to do musical composition. There are companies working on that too, you know? Yeah. Wham. Right. Did you guys watch Mozart in the Jungle? Didn't Wolfgang see Amadeus Mozart, Wham, Wham, the the robot who finishes the Requiem, Mozart's <laughs> Requiem, oh, right, really? just based upon its analysis uh, of all the other things that Mozart may have done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a company based in New York called Amper Music. Is that who yes. you're referring to? Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with? I actually met uh, the CEO of that company, Drew, at another event I did here at Berkeley that uh, Panos organized last year. And, um, you know, they they are probably producing their... Um, they're probably on the leading edge of kind of commercialization of that technology right now. And I'm, I, I, I'm friendly with them. I like them. I think they're doing really cool stuff, but as you mentioned, you know, they have a long way to go before they're going to replace your oh, favorite yeah. pop song, you know, yeah. and what they're focused on is really trying to provide content in places where it's, um, it's kind of ripe for disruption, which is like backing tracks for your YouTube video or your right. commercial or something exactly like that. That's exactly what we, my, my husband has a YouTube like fitness channel and yep. he's constantly bothering me about um, music for his yep. vlogs. Yep. And I'm like, I don't have time to do this, man. <laughs> yeah. And so. Can't you get a robot to do it? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, we went, we tried to make it, we tried to make it work. Yeah. Um, and I was really excited about it. Yeah. So yeah. I'll keep an eye out to see how it continues to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. then have. Isotope Charge mix it for you. Yeah, and then okay, we'll get the ro one robot to compose it, <laughs> another robot to mix it, and then Lander can master it <laughs> on, on a web page. Why do we go to robots? It's not. It's artificial intelligence. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing also is because, you know, we're talking a lot about software, but there's some that you I mean you guys make a, an intelligent hardware product as well. Yep. You yep. know, so it that's uh, the robots, mm. it's a thing. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just saw an article come across my desk of um, uh, someone built a machine learning algorithm to operate, a, you know, a traditional synthesizer, like a subtractive synthesizer. Mm -hmm. So it's not using machine learning to do the synthesis itself. It's building a robot that can be like a good synthesis, right? Which is kind of kind of neat. Emulating the performer. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and joining us, Jonathan. Yeah. That was really, yeah. that was yeah. an engaging conversation. My pleasure. It's amazing. Hopefully, it. uh, hopefully positively vibrating and totally not yeah. too dystopian. <laughs> All good. We're yeah. showing up for the future. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs>